Can we reframe entrepreneurship to make it a normal, high-satisfaction life choice for everyone, including those currently disadvantaged or cut off from pathways to prosperity? Of course we can. This is the Economics for Entrepreneurs podcast. Entrepreneurs are champions for customers, improving their lives with preferred products and services, value, and innovation. We offer you the knowledge and tools to make your entrepreneurial journey a successful one by building a beautiful business. Now, here's your host, Hunter Hastings. Hi, Hunter Hastings here. One of the terms that has been applied to the culture and society of entrepreneurial capitalism is mass flourishing. Edmund Phelps won the Economics Nobel Prize for writing about it. A lot of his thinking is about human desires and satisfactions that conventional economics skips over. The joy of creating, vitality and personal growth, and the thrill of participating in innovation and building something successful. New conceptions, new methods, imagining possibilities, exploring the unknown, these are deeply rewarding. They're often not found in employment. Phelps writes about declining job satisfaction and life satisfaction scores and takes these as evidence that the joy of participating in the dynamic market economy is found less and less in employment and jobs. Phelps also writes about innovation as something ordinary people do, the dynamism of indigenous innovation, he calls it. That's where satisfaction and psychic reward are found in work. And Phelps is famous for worrying that we're losing it in America because of the rise of what he calls corporatism, a tendency towards conservative preservation of the status quo by large corporations and governments working together to suppress all that indigenous dynamic grassroots innovation. The antidote to such a joyless decline is, of course, entrepreneurship. Phelps hopes we can make it possible for everyone to participate in the fulfillment that comes from being an entrepreneur. Is that possible? Of course it is. However, we need to communicate the joy of entrepreneurship in a better way. Economists talk about risk and uncertainty and the perils of judgment, the incompleteness of knowledge, and the rigors of competition. We need to be talking more about the uplifting culture of entrepreneurship and its role in our everyday lives, talking about it as a launching pad for our individual creativity and about the fulfillment that comes from collaborating with teammates on a new venture or the introduction of a new idea about discovery and design and the self-realization that comes from taking this route. We need to reframe entrepreneurship. Today, we're listening to a conversation I had with one of the great reframers. His name is Scott Livengood. He has a PhD in strategic management and an MBA and an accounting degree, and he's taught strategy and entrepreneurship all over the world, in universities and to corporate management teams. He's thought deeply about the intersection of entrepreneurship and culture and how everyone can participate. He's going to share some of his experiences and insights with us today. Scott, welcome to Economics for Entrepreneurs. Thank you. I'm uh, pleased to be here. We're going to talk a little bit today about about creativity, Scott, with your help. And one of the ways we always talk about that is the concept of reframing. We're looking at familiar things in different ways to open up new pathways of, of different thinking. We're always looking for different thinking. 
And uh, you're one of the great reframers, and we're going to give examples of that as we talk today. Um, but first, I should ask you uh, perhaps to give an introduction to our, our listeners. You teach strategy and entrepreneurship, and maybe you could tell us how you, how you got to that position. Sure. So uh, I uh, did my PhD at the University of Maryland, uh, graduated in 2010. Uh, my career has taken many turns and twists. Uh, I was at University of Florida for three years, uh, the Ohio State University for four years, uh, University of Texas for a very brief amount of time, and now I'm at Arizona State. And uh, I love what I do. I, I really, I think if I could be doing anything, of course, it would be a drummer in a rock band, but close <laughs> second to that is a university professor. And so I really am um, just one of those people who's just blessed to be able to absolutely love what they do. Uh, and it excites me uh, often. And I often uh, you know, look for new ways to view the world and to be more entrepreneurial in my life and, and to uh, live it to the best uh, I can. Well, that's great. And uh, we're going to see some of the ways that you've been uh, very original and super creative in, in that. So we talked about reframing, and we're going to start with a book that you recently wrote and released. It's called The Startup of Seinfeld. And rather than me try to explain it, why don't I ask you to explain uh, the book and its concept and its idea as if you were telling us in a cocktail party or something like that? Yeah, sure. Not too many cocktail parties happening uh, in this day and age, unfortunately, <laughs> but uh, virtual. Yes, that's right. Uh, so, I mean, it's really, it's, it's as, as most, I guess, creative things are, it, it's a simple concept, really. Basically, I present uh, entrepreneurial principles and concepts that are you know, housed in, in research and theory and, and experience. Um, and then I use clips from the show Seinfeld to illustrate those concepts and principles and try to make it something to which people can relate to a little bit easier um, than an abstract abstract concepts and, and those kinds of things. And, um, you know, the, the subtitle of this is a multimedia approach to learning entrepreneurship. So I use the text. This is traditional. And I put some fancy graphics in there for those who are visual. Um, but then I really try to tie in and I actually have links to actual clips to make it more multimedia so that uh, people can actually see with edited Seinfeld clips uh, how these principles and, and concepts are illustrated. Well, let's start with the principles and concepts a little bit. Scott, and, and maybe you could tell us how you uh, develop those. You talk about theory and experience and research, but it's, it's very comprehensive. I'm looking at the, the chapters list. There are 19 chapters. You've got things in there like financing and, and planning and marketing and, and uh, just kind of everything in the entrepreneurial genre. So how did you compile those and how did you, you classify them into your 19? Sure. So basically, this came out of my courses. So I, I teach, you know, various institutions of, of which I've, I've been. I've taught foundations of entrepreneurship courses, and there I took a very topical approach. So I was trying to be comprehensive as a way to introduce students to the world of entrepreneurship. And so I covered kind of things from, you know, just these various uh, topics and things. And you know, I decided somehow early on that I know some professors they they want to be very. Um, uh, I guess, uh, I won't say stoic or generic, but they just want to present the material and kind of move forward. I, I, I chose early on to really try to insert my personality, my own personality in the way that I teach. And so I talk about things happening in my life. I talk about the Denver Broncos, for example, or I'll talk about you know something that I'm, I'm really excited about. Um, and so, it, it, and, and in that way, I, I wanted to insert humor 
in the ways that I taught. Now, very early on, there were Far Side comics, Calvin and Hobbes, those kinds of things. And as I evolved, though, I realized how important multimedia is, how, how much students are consuming content via YouTube and via, um, you know, other forms of entertainment. And so I just started implementing and, and kind of putting in these Seinfeld clips into my teaching. And so the book is really more of just an extension of how I teach. You know, again, I try to be solid with the theory and the concepts and those kinds of things, but I try to present it in an entertaining way and uh, try to present it in a way where students, it's a little bit more memorable and it's a little bit more relatable um, to the students. And so I partly chose the topics um, based on things that I was teaching, but then also I had to find a, rel a relevant Seinfeld clip in order to kind of make it work with the book. And so this is basically all of the, the, you know, all of the ideas I could come up with that I saw from Seinfeld and I tied them into things that I was already teaching. And that's how the book was created. I just so listeners can get a, a feeling for it that the book has the clips uh, embedded in there as a link and one click gets you to the clip that illustrates Scott's chapter and it uh, mentions or it complements a visual model that's also part of the chapter. So as you say, it's uh, it's multimedia teaching. So give us a, a couple of illustrations that uh, people can think about before they go and get the book, uh, Scott, which... Which ones would you like to pick out as illustrative of entrepreneurial concepts and principles? Yeah, sure. So it's an interesting and as background. So when I was first doing, you might call it an MVP, a uh, you know minimum viable product. When I was sending these a couple of sample chapters out to my friends, chapter two, which is becoming an entrepreneur, that was actually chapter one. And then I watched an episode. Uh, it's actually called the Doorman, but it's where Kramer comes up with the idea of the bro or the man's ear. Um, which is a supportive undergarment for men. And, mm -hmm. and, and I, as I watched that, as I followed his process, it, it followed exactly how I describe what the entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial process is. So first he started, he identified an opportunity, uh, usually that comes from either his life, you know, our own lives or our acquaintances' lives. Um, he noticed that you know, a friend's father, Frank, had, had this particular problem. Uh, he came up with a creative solution that wasn't really brand new. He just reapplied it from something that already existed, in this case, bras for women. Um, that's the next step in the entrepreneurial process. And then he wants to, you know, you want to assess risk and minimize that. So he talked to his customer about the problems they were facing. Um, you know, one of the biggest risks an entrepreneurial faces is to make a product that nobody will buy. And so he kind of tested it out with Frank a little bit. Next is uh, a resource assembly. So he made a prototype of this uh, thing. And then he presented it to an audience. Uh, in this case, it was a, an executive at um, an undergarment company. Um, but that, those five steps in there, that's exactly what I teach my students of the entrepreneurial process. And I got to watch it unfold as Kramer went through this in order to kind of get his entrepreneurial idea out there. Now, in classic Seinfeld style, of course, it failed miserably. Um, but I, I still think even in that, there's something that we can learn and, and just as good illustration of how that process all unfolds. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, learning, which sometimes is called failure, is, is a big part of the entrepreneurial process. Absolutely. The one I picked out uh, illustrated another entrepreneurial principle that we talk about a lot. Um, it's an episode about bottle deposits that um, Kramer and Newman figure out that Michigan has double the, the value of the bottle deposit that they have in New York. So right. 
they come up with a, a concept of driving the, the bottles to, to Michigan, and they're trying to figure out the the supply chain cost, the cost of driving there and, and so on. And there's an image of Newman frantically pulling the lever on a old style calculating machine, which is a great illustration of economic calculation. He, he, uh, he gets to the point where he, he thinks he has the costs right if he selects the right resources to, to get them there, which includes borrowing a UPS truck. But it's, it's a fascinating example of, uh, of economic calculation. So I certainly enjoyed that one. Yes. Well, and my, so before I did all this, I was in a, a CPA. I'm a retired CPA now as an accounting undergrad. And so certainly that part of me, that certainly relates and appreciates um, Newman crunching the numbers in order to kind of come up with something that's going to be feasible. So um, yeah. And, and it's funny, a lot of people recognize these things and, and you'll see that, but the, the whole key is to really kind of relate it again, back to something that is, is, you know, theoretically sound that makes sense. Uh, that's a little bit more generalizable as well, but there's a lot of great examples. I have 46 clips uh, in the book that, that have uh, various um, levels of application and, and um, can tie into a lot of interesting and I think prov- provocative uh, entrepreneurial principles. Yeah. It's it's wonderfully done. And, Give us one more that you you like to show as an illustrative example, Scott. Uh, sure. Um, so, oh boy, uh, I was just so I'm actually turning this into an audiobook. So I've been reading it myself um, and working through some of these things. Um, one of the things I think is interesting, and actually I can relate to a little bit. So um, a- as we're thinking about you know selling our our products or services as entrepreneurs, adoption of that is is a big. Thing so some sometimes even if people want it there are switching costs there are things they have to overcome and so sometimes the things that get in the way of people adopting well one of the things is, is um, you know being able to to implement and use something new so when Kramer was coming up with a book he, so he was writing a coffee table book about coffee tables and now one of the the things that presupposes is that people actually already own coffee tables in order to display their coffee table book on the coffee table. Well, mm-hmm. some people who don't, so Kramer actually, uh, his book, and he showed it on, I think it was Regis and Kathy Lee, his book actually folds out so that there are legs and his coffee table book becomes a coffee table. And it shows them putting their, you know, their coffee on the on the book or whatever. And, and so part of it is to think about, okay, what are some of the barriers for adoption? So even if people want my product or service, what are some of the things that are going to get into the way in the way of them actually buying or using this? And so by anticipating that from our customers and over helping them overcome that, that can help with uh, the adoption of our product or service. And so Kramer, you know, did a great way of, hey, if you don't have a coffee table, my book becomes a coffee table. Um, <laughs> And as he was on his book tour, then that was something he was able to uh, to explain to to others, which I thought was pretty ingenious and quite creative. Yeah, brilliant. So let's dig dig into the teaching aspects of this, Scott. You say that humor and, and multimedia and and some of the other techniques that you use are effective in the classroom. They engage people more. Is it distracting or is it focusing? Is it does it really help them get these principles and concepts? What what's your experience there? I, so I think it comes in a balance. So when I was creating, when I was kind of outlining my courses, I would have you know the 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 things that I wanted to teach, and then I would I would put in two videos. I put one kind of serious video, something maybe that comes from YouTube or from the textbooks or something that is you know exactly on point and much more academic. But then I also want, always would put in a fun video as well. And I think, you know, part of it comes from the way people learn 
And some people can just read something and they get it. Some people have to have it explained to them either visually or, you know, some other way. And so that's where the kind of graphics come in. But some people relate to it differently. They can learn by something. If, if you relate it to something, they can more easily understand and grasp. Um, and I actually had a, you know, a, a student a couple of years ago uh, and this, you know, every once in a while at the end of the semester, you get a, a letter that kind of reminds you why you're doing this, right? It's a very uh, affirming kind of a letter. And he wrote it and he said, you know, this is an experience I had in your class that was really telling it. And this it kind of leads, I think, to the book where, you know, I, I was, I was uh, self-conscious. I guess I was doubting myself of how I was going to be able, if I could be an entrepreneur, if I had what it took, if I could really do this. And, you know, when you were explaining things in class, I was still having that doubt. Then you showed a clip from Seinfeld and you asked us a question and I answered that question correctly because it was something that he had familiarity with. It was something he, he understood. It was, and being able to answer that question correctly based on something that is in the real world, quote unquote, real world. It's a, it's a you know, sitcom, but um, something that, that, that I could that really relate to and it could actually give me confidence that I know I can do this, I can actually be successful, has really kind of given me that, that, um, that confidence and that uh, ability to be able to be successful. And so that to me kind of let me know that I was on the right path. And you know, I think as in, instructors, it's our job to take the abstract, take the complex and boil it down to something to which people can relate. Maybe it's a framework, maybe it's an example, whatever. But if we can give it to, to something that people can digest and understand and perhaps relate to, they're much more likely to be engaged, uh, much more likely to learn, and then much more likely to actually apply what it is we're teaching to them after they lose, after they leave the classroom. A quick note. Did you know that we provide supplemental materials for each podcast? Listening to and understanding the key takeaways from our expert guests helps you think better about building a more beautiful business. Taking direct action and implementing these strategies is when the real work begins. Take a concrete, immediate step to implementing a better business model today by downloading the show notes and business tool we've created for this episode. Visit Mises.org E4EPod. That's M-I-S-E-S dot org slash E, the number four, E-P-O-D, and click on today's episode. Now, back to our interview. Yeah. Yeah, it's a very affirming um, feedback. And just to be clear, did you find that they could draw the conclusions, the lessons from the Seinfeld videos themselves, or did you have to help them draw it out? What what was your finding there? Yeah, it's interesting. Well, and you know, it's it's also kind of sad. I've been doing this long enough now. Most of my students weren't even alive when Seinfeld was on the air, right? So, I mean, they're you know twenty somethings now, and Seinfeld was off the air in nineteen ninety eight. So. So some of them, it's like, yeah, my parents like that show, or so they haven't all seen it. Um, but those who have and those who kind of spend some time actually are I'll, oftentimes I'll get, you know, in a room full of 40 or 50 students, usually I'll get four to five who get it and who are, you know, can make the, the right attribution. Um, and others are just, they don't really they laugh and they, but it's just, you know, planting a seed. And I suppose if, if nothing else, if I haven't taught them much about entrepreneurship, Perhaps maybe I've then planted the seed for them to at least be interested in watching Seinfeld. And if that's the only impact I make in this world, <laughs> you know, it's not necessarily ideal, but at least maybe I'm uh, bringing some laughter and some insights into their lives that they might not otherwise have found. So we'll see how that goes. But you must believe that 
entrepreneurship is is teachable on the one side and it's learnable on the other side. We we often have that debate, uh, but it sounds like you would lean to yeah, it's definitely teachable. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but that's that's what I'm no, drawing from what you say. Absolutely. I guess it would be hard for me to be an entrepreneurship professor and not believe that, that it could actually <laughs> right. be taught. I would, I would feel very hypocritical, actually, yeah. if that were. But um, no, and, and, I, and I've heard this debate, and I've actually had some debates with my students even who are, you know, why do I have to take this class? And, you know, what am I going to get out of this kind of thing? And, you know, one, one thing that I kind of joke with my students, whatever we read about, and you talked about the importance of failure, and that happens all around us, but businesses fail, you know, a merger and acquisition has to be uh, unwound or all kinds kinds of things that just don't work. And usually the first thing I say is, well, obviously the person who made that decision never took my course. And you know that's why they failed. And, and of course, it's a joke because there's a lot of things that go into that. But I think what we're teaching students really more than anything is to not have to rely on luck in order to be successful or to rely less on chance in order to be successful. Um, I think any business that was start, whether or not they went to college, whether or not they had a high school education, whatever it is, we heard a lot of these kind of stories and they're still successful. Well, my argument is they would have been probably more successful or they would have failed less often or they would have, you know, uh, done it a little bit quicker, easier, whatever, if they were are, are basing their decisions on sound fundamental principles that, you know, have been tested and have been demonstrated and have been shown to be effective over time. So I certainly believe, you know, that most things can be taught. Um, and, and I also, you know, believe that we were all, I think, born as entrepreneurs, right? We, we had that curiosity. We were always asking why. Uh, we're always kind of looking to do things our own way. And somehow, somewhere along the way, that got beaten out of us. And I don't know if it's the education system. I don't know if it's society that kind of teaches us that, well, you don't want to be weird. You don't want to be different. You don't want to be out of the ordinary that that's, you know, that that's kind of shunned upon, you know, in, in Japanese, they have the, the saying of, you know, a nail that sticks out gets knocked back into place. Um, and so somehow we've been taught that conformity and kind of doing things with the crowd is a, is the least path of resistance. And so we kind of do it that way. But I think what we're doing is, is educators is to just rekindle that, entrepreneurial passion to reignite that little entrepreneur inside of us to allow us to be successful. And so I certainly believe that entrepreneurship can be taught because I think there's that little part of us in, inside of us, each of us um, that can relate and can really be entrepreneurial. Well, that's great to hear, Scott. We're very eager here to uh, reframe, to use that word again, entrepreneurship is the, the normal life choice. It's what everybody should do, everybody can do, and they should think of that as as normal as opposed to taking a job in a corporation or, or some other choice where you're, you're not being entrepreneurial. So, yeah, no, I, I, and I, I, that's great. I'd love to be part of that normalization of that as well. And, and one thing I tell people too, very early on that I really focus on the entrepreneurial mindset. So a lot of people will define entrepreneurship as simply the creation of a new business. And I think that really does it a disservice. I, I think it's just, you know, it's creative problem solving. You can be entrepreneurial and work for somebody else. You can be entrepreneurial and, you know, improve the lives of, of people in your family or in your church or in society or whatever it is, that it doesn't necessarily just have to be housed in new business creation. And so, and, and maybe that that's by broadening the definition, we're kind of including everything in there. But I think if we're identifying opportunities, coming up with creative solutions, and then implementing those um, solutions, that that's what entrepreneurship is fundamentally all about. Well, you mentioned something that's very close to our hearts, which is improving the lives of others. That's what 
entrepreneurs do. And uh, Dr. Byland, who's uh, in our group, talks about that as the ethic of entrepreneurship. It underlies all entrepreneurship. You have a positive impact on other people's life, life paths, but you also find meaning and purpose in your own life, and the, the two go together. Um, do you talk about that with your students at all, the, the, what we call the ethic, the purpose and meaning of life through being an entrepreneur? Absolutely. I, uh, it's not in the book necessarily. I haven't kind of gotten into, into that there, but, um, no, the the way I've seen, I I think entrepreneurship can, is really, and I think ethic is is a good word. I mean, just the beauty, the power, the, the miracle of entrepreneurship. Uh, I've seen it kind of in, in two different ways. And the first, um, is the idea that, that again, as an entrepreneur, I am solving somebody else's problem. Right. And that, I mean, that's the, that's the whole idea that, that I, I need to solve a customer's problem in order for me to be successful. And now there's maybe an ulterior motive lie, you know, in there somewhere, but the idea, I think the more we think about others, the more we put others first and, and this goes to in, in general business. I mean, we're all you know trying to satisfy customers needs and those kinds of things, but I think there's an intimacy that comes in the entrepreneur relationship because you're so much closer to the employees. It's a smaller, you know, smaller organizations, so much closer to the customers. But, you know, I, I essentially, the only way I'm going to be successful is by solving somebody else's problem. And I have to put that as a priority of whatever it is I do is solving that person's problem. And I always think that, you know, what a different world we would live in. Just imagine that. What, how different our world would be if every day some, we woke up, I woke up, and the first thing I thought of was, how am I going to solve somebody else's problem today? And by doing that, I lose the selfishness. Mm-hmm. I lose the focus on myself and, and, and just what can I get and what can I do or, you know, for myself. And the more that I focus on others, I, I just think that could be, that's a world changing dynamic and a world changing paradigm that's at the fundamental heart of entrepreneurial activity and success is that I need to solve somebody else's problem first. Uh, and I need to understand them. I need to talk to them. I need to listen to them. I need to, you know, but then combine that with what I do well, right? My own creativity. And I think that's where that purpose and meaning comes in is that if I can do something with my experience, with my talent, with my passions, with my insight, with my creativity, whatever it is to help make world, the world a little better place, that's extremely satisfying. And, um, that's a great purpose and mission that as I, you know, get into this and the older I get, that's the driving force of why I do a lot of the things that I do is helping others and then finding that purpose and mission in what it is that I'm doing to do that. Yeah, that's beautiful. And we, we are singing from the same song sheet, Scott. We're, yeah. we're trying to do exactly that. And as you say, the, the ethic of growing, of getting up every day and saying, how can I solve someone else's problem is, is world changing. Yeah, and sorely needed in in our world today, right? I think there's so much focused on ourselves um, that we need to, you know, the the more we can do to kind of help others, uh, I think that really makes the world a better place. Absolutely. So one of the challenges there too that we've been uh, discussing a lot is um, is motivation. You you let a word creep in there that has slightly negatively tinged, which is ulterior motive. Hmm. Uh, what we try to communicate is that profit has to be involved because profit is the signal from your customers that you're doing the right thing. You're helping them solve a problem. You're allocating resources the right way. um, And profit is that signal. And in fact, 
what is sometimes called social entrepreneurship, which we take to mean without the profit motive, it's out of a 501c3 or, or something like that, uh, could be bad because you're not using the profit signal to allocate resources properly. Um, and so I wonder if you have any thoughts on, on how to communicate that. Profit is good. It's not an ulterior motive. It's the necessary signal to do the right thing. Sure. What I tell people a lot of times, it's it's the means and the ends kind of an idea, right? And mm -hmm. particularly social entrepreneurs. So if I tell people, oh, I'm I'm socially conscious, or you know, a portion of these proceeds are going to go back or whatever, and I just use that as a means to the end of me making more money, then I think we're in kind of dangerous ground there, right? But if the business is the means by which the end is, I can help somebody, I can do something, I can contribute to, you know, whatever cause it is that I believe in or whatever, it, then I think we're in, a, in healthy ground. And that's when I think it's a positive thing. So the, the, the profit is the means by which I'm helping others. It's not the, you know, the helping others is the means by which I am going to be a billionaire or have power or influence or prestige or whatever. And so I think it's that, you know, and I think it could be convoluted. And I think some people might get lost along the way. But what I try to teach my students is, again, think about the purpose and the mission. And absolutely, if, if you're, you know, if you're not a profitable business, so don't throw everything out that I've talked to you about this way, just because we're doing it for a social cause or an environmental cause or something, you still have to run a profitable business because if you're not profitable, you're not going to be around long enough mm -hmm. to help whatever group or whatever cause you're trying to help. And so I think it's just when we talk about social entrepreneurship and talk about additional motives um, beyond simply a profit, I think it goes hand in hand. It just perhaps enhances the message and enhances the impact we can have, again, when we're thinking about something beyond ourselves. Yeah. Uh, and profit becomes the vehicle by which we can help others. Yeah, very well said. So um, to that point, Scott, you've uh, identified some very, very uh, uh, distant ends, if I can put it that way, and putting what you just said into practice in a very a challenging way, a global way. Tell us about your work under the heading of Education for Humanity. Great. Yes. Thank you so much. It's something about which I'm really excited. So I had, um, I was creating a, a series of courses for a corporate partner uh, of ours, Uber, uh, for their drivers. And um, I had done it, you know, just kind of, and I was under a very tight timeline. Um, so, I, you know, it was very topically based and, and, and those kinds of things. And another group at ASU called Education for Humanity heard about my work and invited me to help them. And so what Education for Humanity does they um, are creating online courses for displaced refugees in developing countries. And so and to this point, they focused on, uh, you know, how do you become an effective online learner and English as a second language? And they wanted to expand their offering, in this case, entrepreneurship. And, you know, then me as a subject matter expert, and they've heard about the courses I created for Uber, invited me to help them do that. So I've been involved with them for, uh, I guess it's almost two years now. And I have to be honest, what I originally thought was, oh, you know, this is pretty straightforward. I just basically will take what I did for Uber, make a few changes here, and, you know, then we'll be on our way. Uh, and that happened until I actually went to Uganda. So the five countries we're focused on right now, it's Rwanda, Uganda, Jordan, uh, Iraq, and Lebanon. Uh, and so then I actually traveled to Uganda. 
And it was a, just such a, a eye-opening experience. We actually had an opportunity to meet with many members of the entrepreneurial ecosystem. So I actually sat down and talked to refugees and I mm-hmm. spoke with incubators and, uh, you know, not-for-profits, NGOs, um, uh, resource providers, so some venture capitalists and those kinds of things, professors, and there's just people kind of involved in that. And I realized that I had been going about this whole thing wrong, uh, that what I couldn't simply take what I created for a completely different audience in a completely different context and just plop that in and say, okay, here it is, just take it. Um, I needed to basically do what we tell our entrepreneurs to do is I need to sit down and I need to talk to the customer. I need to understand what their problems are, what their resource constraints are, what their challenges are they're trying to overcome. And then I need to present my solution in a way they will value and appreciate and uh, actually be able to use practically uh, going forward. And so that really has inspired me to try to think of a better way to teach entrepreneurship. And it's been a really fantastic experience thus far. And what are some of the things you've decided about a better way to teach entrepreneurship to these displaced refugees? Yeah. So... uh, Probably, so I'm taking a much more process-oriented approach. And one of the best examples I can think of is in the topic of entrepreneurial finance. So again, that's a, it's a topic in my book. It's a topic that I cover at university kind of a thing. Uh, where it is, you know, I talk about the growth stage model. So you start with personal funds, you go to friends and family, and then you have angel investors and you have venture capitalists and an IPO. And all, that would be worthless to somebody in a developing country. I mean, a displaced refugee from the Congo who left with, you know, the, 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 whatever they could carry with them and their families and are now living in Uganda. The idea of venture capital is just, it's, it's ridiculous, right? It's, and, and I don't mean that to be a, a demeaning or condescending, you know, attitude. It's what I do with them is I start with Let's, let's start with personal finances. Let, let's do a, a personal budget. Do you know how much you make? Do you know how much you spend over a week or a month? Let's start there with the basics and then maybe identify some areas that you could cut some costs on and actually save some money for the future. And then if you want to then, and keep that separate, those books that you do for your personal uh, life, keep those separate from your um companies books or your firm's book or your other activities books. But can you take some of that surplus that you can generate from your own activities and start investing those in activities that can be income generating? And again, back to the context. So I met with a woman, she owns a cow that she uses for her, you know, to, to, to milk. And that's what she gives her kids for milk. What she wants to do is she wants to buy a second cow so that the milk that she produces with that second cow, she can sell for, cheese or milk or yogurt or other kinds of things. So we're not talking about Facebook. We're not talking about artificial intelligence, you know, for which venture capital might be necessary. It's just very basic. Take what you have and what you know, and can you just grow it a little bit more? So it's beyond subsistence living and actually provide, you know, a basic business that's income producing. And so that's where I start with, you know, your own personal funds. Then we go with friends and family and you usually stop with, microfinance or microcredit that's very popular in these developing countries. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the lesson on entrepreneurial finance. And so that's, again, very different than what I would teach somebody at, at, in university setting or somebody that has a different set of resources uh, or goals or objectives in mind. Then maybe six months down the road or a year down the road or two years after we've built some success, after you've, you've learned through the process, maybe you're looking to expand and to scale and to hire other people. Now let's start talking about banks and 
you know, angel investors and venture cloud and those other kinds of things. Maybe we can look at other kinds of things, but instead of just topical teaching everything somebody would need to know about entrepreneurial finance day one or, you know, lesson one, it's the idea of let's start where you are with your own goals and your own objectives and your own resources on the positive side and resource constraints of things that you need. And let's take you through this process of building where you are and by the, by so doing then lifting them hopefully to higher levels and, and higher achievements and, and being able to uh, uh, accomplish the goals and objectives they have for themselves and their families. Yeah. And then are you, are you able to teach them the idea we just talked about of helping other people to help yourself? Do they embrace that? Well, you know, for most of the people I talked about, they taught me more about that than I could teach them. Really? Uh, I mean, you know, when you think about, uh, you know, and if you've ever visited these refugee camps, there it's very much a community. It's very much a, a village type approach to living. Mm-hmm. And so they already understand that they can't do it themselves, right? They, again, and maybe that's the lesson for all of us, that we strip down to the very basics or if we have those things stripped away from us so that we only have the basics of our family and our lives and maybe a change of clothes, that we can know that we have to rely on other people. We know that we have to, we are in this together. And the only way that I'm going to do this is what is something that I can do to help you? What is something you can do to help me? And it's this interrelationship and this kind of interdependence on which we can build and help each other's lives get better. And so that's a lesson. I It's harder for me to teach that to them than it is for me to see that in their lives already and something that I took with me um, from that, again, week-long experience. I, I could spend a year and still not truly understand what it is those people are going through, but I spent a week with these people and that was enough to change my life and change my perspective and change not only how I approach to entrepreneurial education, but how I think about our interdependence and then the interrelationship I have with others. Yeah. One of the goals that we have for our project, Scott, is to build that entrepreneurial community spirit and to rethink competition a bit. You're not, you're not competing with other entrepreneurs. You're all finding your place in a, in a value creation community and you're helping yourself because you find your unique place, but you're helping others because you're you're part of the community. So maybe there are some things you can learn in in Uganda that we could uh, bring back home. Yeah, absolutely. And that's another thing that I've learned too is is you know I think I think and I kind of go by the eighty twenty rule. Eighty percent of what we teach it's going to be applicable and generalizable to pretty much anyone anywhere. Um, you know, and, and then but it's the twenty percent that might need to be customized. Or mm-hmm. um, you know, change or, or, or contextualize a little bit better in order to help others relate. And so, you know, that's kind of the idea of the book. Of hey, look, I can teach you entrepreneurship. If I can teach you entrepreneurship in the context of Seinfeld, you might relate to that. You might know that a little bit better. If I can teach you about entrepreneurship in a refugee camp, right? That's maybe that twenty percent. But but by and large, what we're teaching there that can be translated to. Um, you know, resource constrained individuals in, for example, the US, right? So we have inner cities, we have uh, rural communities, we have people who are struggling, if just as much, if not more than a displaced refugee in a developing country. And so I, I think that's the, 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 the message that I've been able to take away from that as well is, you know, I, I, I don't need to just look at the other side of the world to affect change. I just need to look at my neighbor. I just need to look at my family. I just need to look at maybe myself and, and realize that, hey, there are things that I can do, things that I can contribute locally 
in order to help uh, you know people find their passion, find their uh, their purpose, and be able to contribute what they do very well uh, to help their uh, to help you know their improve their lives and the lives of those around them. Right. Well, you and I are going to see if we can help Dr. Dale Caldwell with his project on entrepreneur zones in inner cities in the U.S. So that uh, you'll, I'm sure, bring a lot of value to that in transferring your experience. And I think that that message is exactly it, that, you know, he's in New Jersey and he can see around where entrepreneurship can help those people, right? If we have that entrepreneurial mindset that no matter where we are, we can improve our lives, we can make our lives better. And that's something we can take with us no matter what we're doing. Again, whether we're wanting to start a new business, whether we're wanting to write a book, whether we're wanting to, um, you know, work for a corporation or do whatever it is, that entrepreneurial mindset can truly have uh, a, a large impact in not only the uh, success of those endeavors, but in the satisfaction and the happiness that, that goes along with uh, creating something that is a part of us. One more detail on your uh, teaching to the refugees, Scott, that intrigues me is is the use of language. So it, we're guilty of this in, in our project, I think, sometimes. It's easy to, to fall into language that is highly technical. You mentioned finance, and that's certainly a place that can get technical quickly. We talk about strategy and, you know, maybe in marketing, it's positioning and it's uh, psychology sometimes about empathy, and we can get lost in our own language. What, what have you found out about language when you're, you're dealing with those kinds of students? And that's a, that's a great question. And the idea, again, I think it goes back to explaining things in ways that they can understand. Again, not condescending, not you know belittling, but it's truly putting ourselves in in the the position that they are in of how they are seeing these things, and then doing our best to try to explain it to them. And one of the things that we found particularly important is partnerships. So um, you know, we have NGO partners, we have other people who are already there and live there and, and, and can understand and relate to uh, the people in those countries a lot better than somebody like myself could. And so it's really trying to leverage their perspectives and, and the things that they can add. And even to the extent where maybe we just provide the content. So I, I can give you the principles and I can give you the slides and I can give you the, you know, the, the basics and the principles and the theories and all those kinds of things. And you can use that as a template, but then take that and take that, that you use that 80% as a foundation and then take the 20% and say, okay, what is, what are some company examples? What are some life examples? What are some people who can teach this to them better than I can? Um, and even to the extent where maybe some of the videos, it's not, a Caucasian middle-class person from America teaching this. Maybe we have somebody from their village. Maybe we have someone from their country that can that can actually better present this material so that they can relate to it and connect to it a lot better than just somebody from the outside coming in with our solution to whatever it is their problem happens to be. So I don't know if we've actually cracked the formula for that. Um, unfortunately, one of the, the downsides of the pandemic is that it has slowed down our progress and our workshopping and our, and our rolling out some of the ideas and the, the courses that we've created for education for humanity. Um, but we hope to be able to pick that up, um, you know, as the world kind of uh, comes back to whatever normal is going to be going forward. Um, but I, I think I think, again, it takes an entrepreneurial mindset in order to solve and answer that question is that, you know, I can't just simply take what I think is right and, you know, 
force that upon others. I need to get out there and I need to talk to them. I need to listen to them. And I need to understand from them what is the best language to use? What is the best way to present this in a way that you will truly relate to it, value it, and actually appreciate it such that you can implement it in your own life? And so I think that's going to be different for every group. Um, Again, 80% of it, I think, is going to be very generalizable. But it's really finding that extra 20 that's really going to make it more impactful for those people's lives. Yeah, and I I found that YouTube is a great resource for that. I used to teach marketing in in various countries around the world, and you'd be in the Czech Republic or Ukraine or South Korea or somewhere. You can always find on YouTube some local example of maybe a local firm with a, a particularly nifty promotion or a, uh, an ad that was illustrative or something like that. YouTube can find you something in just about every country in the world. Yeah, no, it's fine. And again, that kind of brings us back to this multimedia approach. Yeah. You know, so for my students at university, I use humor and I use Seinfeld to teach a lot of the principles that that I'm trying and use that language as a way to kind of bridge that gap and, and, and help them relate to something or laugh a little bit or, you know, some just the abstract, I think kind of helps. And so the more we can, again, teach students in the way they learn whether it be by text, whether it be by graphics, whether it be by YouTube or multi, other multi- multimedia approaches, the more we're going to be able to actually connect and then uh, you know, teach them something, uh, something that they can learn and, and take with as they leave the classroom. Yeah. So where do, you, where do you imagine this is going in the future? Part of the entrepreneurial mindset is, is being able to imagine that future, that multimedia future. What happens when we bring AI and virtual reality, do you think? What, what are you thinking for the next stage? Yeah, so uh, honestly, I think that comes to the customizability, right? So AI, can it, they can learn about the learner. That's really one thing that I think is going to be fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm actually working for a, a group. Uh, it's called Elevate You. Uh, it's a startup that came from one of my students, actually, in a group last year, where they're trying to use artificial intelligence to make textbooks so that you know it's not a static... I just read the material and it's all going to be presented in the same way. And, you know, everyone kind of gets the same experience that if I'm struggling in a particular area and maybe this comes from quizzes or competence checks or whatever, and the program can recognize that maybe there's this concept that I don't understand very well, it can then tailor the rest of the material or add additional material, uh, whether it be outside articles or YouTube clips or whatever else to kind of help me as, you know, kind of do a diagnostic check as I go along to add material and add uh, content to things that I might be struggling with. And so, uh, you know, I think that, again, a lot of it comes down to, and of course, computer learning can certainly uh, speed up this process and aid this process such that it can really be customizable um, so that the the entrepreneurs and the students, and, and they can learn the things that they need to learn in the way that they can learn it. And, and the more, now we can't please everybody all the time. And certainly when I teach, I kind of you know, have to, to, to take that the practical approach in, into, uh, into account when I'm teaching. But the more that we can bring in artificial intelligence and computer learning to customize the learning experience, I think that's going to improve the quality of the education and the quality of the product that we put out there. Well, Scott, you're very inspiring, and uh, I wanted to thank you for being such a, an ambassador and an innovator and a communicator for entrepreneurship. Uh, you did volunteer when, when I asked you to look into our Economics for Business project, and maybe you can help us there. We're certainly eager to collaborate, and 
there's uh, a lot of things we might be able to do together. So I look well, forward I, to working with you. Thank you. For, and I appreciate this opportunity as well. And, and, you know, part of the reason I got into this in general is, and, and you're writing the book and, and promoting and those kinds of things is, you know, to the extent that it is successful, it, it means that that we're, be, we're able to share our message with other people. And this is yet another platform, hopefully that people are listening. And, you know, it's a, it's a very satisfying feeling for me that if there's something that I can do to help improve the lives of others, um, that is successful to me. And so I appreciate the opportunity of yet another platform to share some of my ideas and hopefully we together um, by focusing on the needs of others and helping solve other people's problems can make the world a little better place day by day. We all believe in that. So thank you for today. And there'll be another time, Scott. Looking forward to it. Thank you, Hunter. Be well. Thank you. Economics for Entrepreneurs is a production of the Mises Institute. To explore more content like this, visit Mises.org. That's M-I-S-E-S dot org. For more from Hunter Hastings, check out HunterHastings.com.